All right, if we could start finding our way to our seats. For those of you in the hall, I'll just say good morning, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. For those watching us online, great to have you with us as well. We miss you and can't wait for you to be with us again. Just got a few announcements before we get started this morning. This afternoon at 4 o'clock, we're back into our schedule for our prayer time. 4 p.m. here in the sanctuary, time of prayer for our congregation, our city, however the Lord leads here at 4 o'clock today. Also very excited about Wednesday night. Uh, We had our first fall schedule kicked in this past Wednesday, a wonderful time of fellowship and community, discipleship. Just some reminders, uh, men, the Bible study you're going through is Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor. Um, It's a a way to help you grow in seeing your work the way God does. Had a great group of men show up. Still time to join any of these Bible studies. If you weren't able to come this past Wednesday, things are just kicking off. Ladies, there's two studies for you. The first is an in-depth study of John chapter 15 called Abide in Him. And the second is a book study by Paul David Tripp called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. So very excited about these opportunities for men and women. Our youth are continuing on with our study of spiritual disciplines. Our kids club, uh, first grade through sixth grade, is uh, continuing through with the Gospel Project. They're meeting in the back. And for the college-age students, um, they are going to Seth and Megan's home uh, for the life group there. So we're very excited about our fresh schedule for the fall and invite you all to partake and participate. Men, I know many of you are in here and survived the hike yesterday. Glad to see you back. We want to make you aware of something similar a month out just to prepare and to put it on your calendars. There's going to be a men's overnight backpacking trip, October 16th to 17th, a Saturday, um, and into um, a Sunday morning. Is this Saturday to Sunday, Grady? Okay. So um, for Pine Mountain, Georgia, mark your calendars. Details will be on the blog this week. So I guess Grady's going to be preaching in the mountains. So that'll be great. Um, Also, kids' worship continues today, first grade through fourth grade. And just as a friendly reminder for anybody uh, whose kids are here in Sunday school, first grade through sixth grade in that back hall, just a reminder, as soon as your Sunday school's over, if you can go pick up your children, um, they have to stay in their rooms until you go and pick them up. So as soon as your class is over, if you can go and grab the youngins and uh, bring them over at that time. So very excited about worshiping the Lord this morning. So if you can please stand as we... Declare God's word this morning to prepare our hearts to worship the Lord through song. I'm going to be reading Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's worship the Lord this morning.
lost in sin Held captive by my fear Till your mercy showed Your hand was reaching me My God, King
He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. And Father, we come to you today. Lord, we want this to be true in our hearts. Lord, that you and you alone are a refuge, our stronghold, our salvation. Lord, that we look to you and you alone, that we wait on you and you alone. And Lord, we admit in our brokenness and our sinful rebellion, Lord, we look to all kinds of things. And Lord, we repent today. Lord, you are enough. And it takes a lifetime often to figure that out. Lord, we ask today, would you, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, just shower upon us the blessing of understanding that you and you alone save, you and you alone deliver. Oh, God, that we would just look to you and you alone. And Lord, we just bring to you our needs today. Lord, in our own church, Lord, we ask uh, that you would continue the work that you're doing in our young adults group. Lord, as Zach and Parker lead out in that, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, they would continue to grow in their relationship with you, to trust in you, to look to you, to walk with you, to follow you. And Lord, you would build them up into a small community, Lord, who love and serve one another. So Lord, we just pray your blessing on them, that they would be growing up into maturity. Lord, would be living out of your grace. Lord, we pray and thank you for Foch, for his ministry, Lord, to the guys at Safety Net. Just pray. Lord, you continue just to encourage him in that. Lord, you continue to produce fruit. And Lord, thank you for, Lord, Foch and others like him who just continue, Lord, to serve year by year, Lord, to walk the walk of obedience, Lord. We thank you. Lord, we pray for Pastor Teddy Gandhi. Pike Road Baptist Church, Lord. Lord, one of our fellow churches in Montgomery, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for churches in this city, Lord, and we pray particularly for them at Pike Road today, and Pastor Teddy Gandy. God, just that you would be working in that church, Lord, Lord, that you'd be glorified in that church, that people would be encouraged and built up, Lord, in walking in obedience to you. Lord, we pray beyond our borders to globally, Lord. Uh, Lord, a missionary team that is reaching the mixed texts of Guerrero, Mexico. God, we pray for them as they live among them, sharing the Bible. Lord, praying that the Holy Spirit will convict them. Lord, that they would repent. Lord, as the gospel is proclaimed. Lord, that others would come into your kingdom. Thank you that one day, Lord, that we will all gather together. Lord, out of every tribe and every nation and every tongue. Lord, to sing your praise. Lord, to be in your presence forever. Lord, we look to that day. We look to that day, Lord. And we pray also, Lord, thank you for uh, how you've blessed each of us in this church. And Lord, how we've um, been blessed financially in this church. And how, Lord, the people in this body have been good stewards, Lord, and continue to give faithfully. And Lord, we thank you that you provided our every need. And we pray, Lord, that we would be good stewards as you continue to bless us, Lord, for your kingdom and for your glory. God, we just thank you for Grady, our pastor. 
Lord, for his faithful teaching week by week. Lord, in a multitude of venues, Lord, we thank you. Lord, as he comes this morning uh, and pray that as he speaks to us about the Redeemer, about the central focus of all of time and all of things outside of time, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Lord, would you empower him by your Holy Spirit? Lord, would you awaken us, Lord? Would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to to believe and receive your word, that it would produce fruit and more fruit. So, Lord, we just thank you for the time we've had together as a body today already. We're worshiping you, and we just pray as we worship with the word, God, that we would be blessed and you'd be glorified. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. of God's Word this morning. We're continuing our year-long journey of seeking to be more rooted and more grounded in what we believe. And as you know, if you've been around Gateway Law, we're being guided by a catechism. A catechism is just a series of questions and answers written for the church to help the church better understand what we believe and to better understand the Scripture. So if you're new to Gateway and you don't have a copy of it yet, we have them all around campus. I hope you'll get one before you leave on the back table by the doors here in the sanctuary. There's a big stack of them. The bigger books are for the adults. The little white ones next to them or the kids' version of them, if they're in the resource center, they're in the gym building. So before you leave, if you don't have one, please grab a copy today of that. And just want to remind you all as well, there's a free app with this catechism. Just look up in the app store, New City Catechism, and you can review all week long, wherever you are. If you're even sitting in a traffic, I can pull it out and review the catechism question for the week. If you're parents, remember there's a song that goes to everyone so your kids can learn all these deep truths to music so it's not too late to jump in on that. So get the copy of the book if you don't have it. Download the app and be reviewing these truths all week long as we meditate on the deep truths of Scripture throughout this year. Now, this New City Catechism that's guiding us has three sections of it. And today we come to the end of section one. Yes, we are now about 26 26 weeks into our study. We made it to the end of the first of three sections of the catechism today. This is the end of the section that's called God, Creation, Fall, and the Law. And we come to the end of that today with question number 20. And our question this morning is very simple. Who is the Redeemer? Who is the Redeemer? Now, this question builds on everything that we've been seeing all throughout the last 20-something weeks in this study, this builds on the idea that God has created us for a purpose, that we are made to live for God, that we're made to glorify God, we're made to praise Him and be in a relationship with Him. This builds on the truth that we've seen of what it looks like to live for Him, everything we saw in the law, the commandments of God, the revealed will of God for how He wants His people to will. But this also builds on the truth that we've seen over and over, and that's our inability to keep the law. Because of the fall, when sin came in the world, we are now all born guilty. We are now all born with a sin nature, unable to keep the law. And that's why throughout our life, and even this week, and even yesterday, and even this morning, we have all broken the law in our words, our thoughts, and our deeds. That means we all start out separated from God as enemies, as rebels. And as we saw a few weeks back, this holy and perfect God feels anger towards sin, and He will punish every sin, both in this life and in the life to come. That heavy truth about the wrath of God led us to our question last week. That was question 19, and that is, basically, is there any hope? 
If you remember last week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 53, a prophecy from 700 B.C. about a Redeemer. What we've just been singing about this morning, a Redeemer who would come and buy us back and redeem us and purchase us back. But it would require this Redeemer being crushed by God the Father through a grueling humiliation and death. This concept of a Redeemer is an incredibly important concept. And so as we transition from section 1 to section 2 of our catechism, the next several weeks are all going to be about the truth of who is the Redeemer. We get to focus in on that this morning with the question, who is this Redeemer? Now, there's a lot of places that we can look for this. As Greg prayed in his prayer, all of Scripture is really about the Redeemer. So there's a lot of places we could look. But this morning, we're looking at Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, to see who the Redeemer is and what we learn about him. So I've got our easy question for us as we begin this morning, okay? This is an easy Sunday school answer, okay? Who is the Redeemer? Okay, what is the Redeemer's name? You know it. Who is the Redeemer? There we go. Okay, first question right from you. You already know the answer to the catechism question. Who is the Redeemer? The Redeemer is Jesus. So I want us to broaden out our question a little bit more and look at what do we learn about the Redeemer? What do we learn about this Jesus? And so again, there's a lot we could say, but Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, I want us to dig into that this morning because there's six truths about who Jesus is in these, these short verses here. This is just one sentence in the Greek, but in these three little verses here, there's six truths about the Redeemer. So as we read this together this morning, I want you to see if we can find the six things we learned about the Redeemer in this one sentence that covers three verses for us. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Friends, again, the treasure we have in having the Word of God right before us so we can read the words of God to us. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We have the words on the screen for you as well. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the the beauty of it. Lord, as we look at these amazing words this morning, I pray that you would stir our hearts to just to come alive to the truth of who the Redeemer is. I pray this would transform us and change us and you'd leave us in awe and wonder of your greatness and who you are and the fact that we have been redeemed by you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, before we look at these truths we learned from this, just a little context here because we're going from Isaiah last week to Galatians this week. So make sure we understand what we're reading here because context is so important when we dive into God's Word. We're looking at this letter of Galatians. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It was written around 48 AD, and he's writing to Christians in Galatia. Now, Galatia was not a city. It was a province of the Roman Empire. It was a big province, a big region in the Roman Empire, probably about where modern-day Turkey would be today. Now, in Galatians, if you've read it before, you know it's very direct. Paul is very blunt in this letter because false teachers had come into these churches that Paul had started, these churches that Paul loves. False teachers had come, and they were undermining the message of salvation that Paul had given to them. They were teaching that there were things you had to do beyond faith in Christ in order to be a follower of Christ. So they're undermining the gospel message. So Paul corrects them here. He rebukes them with some really strong words in here. But in so doing, he anchors the church back in what is the gospel. And in so doing, that answers the question for us of who is the Redeemer. Now, Paul begins right here in these introductory verses with anchoring them in the gospel message. And look back here at the very first verse and see how he begins here. Verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it begins with this prayer, this prayer of blessing for them to experience grace and peace. Now, it's easy for us to just kind of zip over that real quick because we hear these words a lot and we see these words a lot. But friends, grace and peace are not just quick introductory words. So these are loaded with depth and loaded 
with theological significance. Let me just remind us, this is not new for you if you've been around Gateway for a while, but let me just remind you of the depths of these words. The grace means God giving us what we do not deserve. We talk about God's grace as God giving us what we do not deserve. It's unmerited kindness from God. So at the very outset of this letter to the Galatians, Paul reminds the people that they are recipients of grace. They're recipients of a salvation that they do not deserve. They're recipients of these ongoing blessings from God. Day after day, this grace upon grace I like to talk about, they receive these things they do not deserve from the hand of God. And he's praying for them that they would remember that and experience more and more of God's grace. But then he follows up with grace and peace. Now, peace is a blessing of the grace that we get from God. Peace, as you know, in Scripture is not just no conflict. Peace in Scripture is wholeness. So he's praying for them to have peace and remember the peace they have, but also to experience it more and more. He's talking about the peace they have with God, that they've been reconciled to God. They're no longer his enemies. So he's talking about peace with God, but he's also talking about peace with one another. Because we saw when we studied James, the gospel brings people of different backgrounds together and breaks down walls of hostility and brings Christians from different backgrounds together in one church. But it also even means peace within ourselves because we know who we are as people who are loved by God. So at the very outset of this letter, Paul reminds them of the gospel, that you have grace and you have peace. These undeserved gifts you cannot make on your own, these undeserved gifts you cannot get on your own. He says, you have grace and peace. Notice this, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God gives to us grace and peace that we do not deserve. Now, as we've been working through this catechism, that raises the question we've seen over and over, how can God do this? How can God give to us grace and peace when we don't deserve it? We see week by week that we are sinners who have offended a holy God. We saw it last week when we studied Isaiah. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6? You go all the way back to Isaiah 53, 6. I think, Alexander, we have that there. He said in Isaiah's prophecy, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on, on the Redeemer, the iniquity of us all. So how can we have grace and peace? Because we've turned our own way, we've turned our backs on the Lord, we've all shaken our fist at God and said, Not your way, but mine. And we're confronted with that reality again in verse 4. If we go back to Galatians this morning. He reminds us of our need and our inability as well on this. In verse 4, he tells us, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, who gave himself for our sins. Now, even here, he reminds us of our unworthiness, of our sinfulness, how we have offended God. And friends, it just takes us back to that truth that my life is full of sin and your life is full of sin also. As we've seen over and over, every sin has to be paid for. God's holiness and his perfection means that every sin has to be paid for. And either we pay for it, which takes an eternity, or a Redeemer pays for it in our place. So that leads us to our question today, who is this Redeemer who pays for our sins? Who is this Redeemer who buys us back? Who is this Redeemer who freely gives to us grace and peace, but at a very high cost to himself? So back in Galatians 1, verses 3 to 5, there's six things that we learn about this Redeemer. Let's walk through this. And the first thing we learn about the Redeemer is we're told his name. But you already know that because I asked you a few minutes ago and you already got that one right. The name of the Redeemer is Jesus. Go back to verse 3 here of our text this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what follows is a description of redemption happening. So the Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me just remind you, when you see the word Lord or the word Christ, those are not his names. It's not like a prefix, and it's not like Christ was the last name. These are titles for him. Lord is a word that means boss, master, one you submit to. So we are reminded here that the Redeemer is the one that we submit to. He's not just the one who gets us out of hell. He's one that we follow, that we submit to, who we ask to be the boss, the master of our lives. And we're told here the Redeemer is also the Christ. 
This is the Greek word for the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was prophesied about in the Old Testament, the one that people have been hoping for would come to rescue their people. The one we saw last week in Isaiah 50, that is the, that is the Redeemer. And we're told to hear his name. His name is Jesus. Now, let me just remind you, Jesus is not a name that Mary and Joseph picked out. They didn't do what we perhaps do with our kids. They didn't make a spreadsheet to do a syllable count to see how these, these syllables line up with other kids' names. They didn't do a thing of does this rhyme with other names. They didn't do all these crazy things. You know, this was not a name they picked for Jesus. This was a name that was given to them because it was his name. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, we see this. When the angel appears to Joseph and he says, but as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on in verse 21, to where he says, She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Mary and Joseph didn't come up with his name like, Hey, I think this sounds like a cute name for our baby. No, this is a name, this is God's name for God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. It's God's revealed name to us. So who is the Redeemer? His name is is Jesus. He's the Lord and he is the Christ. Second thing we learn about the Redeemer here in Galatians 1, that the Redeemer is actually God himself. The Redeemer is God himself. The Redeemer is not just some strong leader who would come to his people and help them out. He's not going to be a political leader. The Redeemer is not just a prophet who's speaking on behalf of God, but the Redeemer is God himself come in human flesh to earth. Now, you may be thinking, where in the world do we see that here in this text? We'll go back to verse 3, and it's hidden in a little word here for us. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it is in the word from. Okay, follow me here for just a minute. It's it's in this little tiny word from, this little preposition here. Because Paul did not write here, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. If he'd done that, he would have been distinguishing them. But rather, he took one preposition and very intentionally with his grammar here, has described and united them. They have God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are united here. This is one God who exists as three persons. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And though God the Holy Spirit is not mentioned here, he is later in Paul's letter here. Paul shows them and holds them up at the very beginning of his letter as being one God. And he reminds them that God exists as God the Father and God the Son, who is the Redeemer, as well as in God the Holy Spirit. Just to remind us that Jesus did not begin to be God when he was born. He has always existed. John chapter 1 verse 1 takes us back to that. And John 1 1, and the beginning was the Word. Just another name for the Redeemer, for the servant from Isaiah 53, for Christ. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So just in this first verse of Galatians chapter 1 verse 3, we see the Redeemer's name is Jesus, and we see that this Redeemer is himself God. Now what else do we learn about the Redeemer in this text? Well, the next three I'm going to give you are going to sound very, very familiar if you were here last week, okay? Now, as you think about that, don't just kind of check out and be like, this sounds like last week's sermon, but I want you to catch the wonder of this. Last week we were in Isaiah 53, something written 700 years before Jesus ever came. Today we're in something written in AD 48. So we're now about 750 years apart in redemptive history. And yes, it's going to sound familiar because there's one story of Scripture. And I pray that you hear this and think, wow, this sounds like Isaiah 53. Yeah, it does. And catch the wonder of that. This one redemptive story from Genesis to Revelation. I pray that would stir our affections and wonder at the Word of God and the consistency of the Word of God. So what else do we learn about the Redeemer? Number three here is the Redeemer willingly died to forgive us of our sins. The Redeemer, Jesus himself, willingly died to forgive us for our sins. Now, go back to last week to think back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11. Isaiah 53, verse 11. How the anguish of his, the servant, the Redeemer's soul, he will see and he will be satisfied. And we talked about last week how he was, 
He delighted to do this, that this was his will. And so this is he willingly died to make people righteous. It says, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That he was the guilt offering, and he gladly did that. Now we see that again in our text today in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 4. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. He gave himself. That means he freely gave himself that no one coerced him, no one made him, that Christ willingly laid down his lives. Yes, sinful men killed Jesus, but they only could do it because it's what he desired to happen. John chapter 10, verse 17, you see this in John's gospel where Christ is talking about, he says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. He's talking about being killed. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. There's the resurrection. Now in verse 18, he continues, no one takes it from me. Let those words sink in. When Christ is arrested, when the Jewish leaders have conspired, when they take him and he's taken before the Roman government, all these things, he says, no one can take it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so Christ willingly laid his life down. Back to Galatians 1, 4 in the words here, he gave himself. He freely gave Himself for our sins. And that's the important part of this. That he freely gave himself to take the penalty for our sins so we could be forgiven. He died to rescue us from the penalty of our sins. But the second thing you see about his death here, this is number four for us, that the Redeemer gives us freedom from the power of sin. The Redeemer gives us freedom from the power of sin in our life. We caught a glimpse of this last week. Go back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11. In Isaiah 53, 11, we saw that, you know, the anguish of his soul, the servant, the Redeemer's soul, he shall see and he will be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous of my servant make many to be accounted righteous. And we saw last week that's not just a legal declaration, though it is that, that he's changing the nature of the people he saves. He's given them a new heart, the desires to be practically righteous, just as he positionally has seen them. And so we see that now in verse 4, back in Galatians, that he came to give us freedom from the power of sin. Look at this amazing thing of what the Redeemer comes to do, what Jesus came to do. He says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Some of your translations may say to rescue us. He came to deliver us. He came to rescue us. Now when you see this word deliver or rescue in the Greek this is a really really strong word here. It carries the idea of being rescued from the power of something over your life. It's the idea of being rescued from the power of something over your life. And so if someone is being rescued from slavery, they're being rescued from the power of another person who's kept them captive. They're rescued from prison. They're being rescued from the power of a government to keep them in that place. If someone is rescued from an addiction, we speak of that as someone who's being rescued from the power of a substance over their life. That's the same idea that Paul was communicating here, that we are being rescued from the power of something. That the Redeemer has come to rescue us from the power of something. And notice what it is we're being rescued from. Go back to verse 4. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from what? What is it we're being rescued from? From what? The present evil age. Now, what in the world is the present evil age? That's the world that we live in. A world that is corrupted by sin. A world that is under the power of sin. Friends, we don't have to watch the news long, do we? To see that this world is under the power of sin. We see sin and its effects everywhere we turn. And we've seen the effects of sin in our own life. And so what Paul is saying is the Redeemer came, that Christ has come to rescue us from the present evil age, to rescue us from the power that sin has over our lives. So friends, don't miss this. When the Redeemer died, he not only purchased our forgiveness, he purchased our freedom as well. 
The Redeemer came not just to purchase our forgiveness, which he did. He also came to purchase our freedom as well. I love how Paul, who wrote Galatians, describes this in Romans. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11. I want you to see that. Notice the freedom we have from sin. So you must also consider yourselves. This is how we're to think about ourselves now. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, he carries on. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He keeps going. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now notice verse 14 here. He brings it all together. For sin will have only a little bit of dominion over you. How much dominion? How much? How much? No dominion over you. Like in Christ, because of the Redeemer, sin is to have no dominion over you. He has broken the power of sin over our lives. We are now not under the law. We are under grace. He has brought freedom from the power of sin over us. So, so far, what have we seen about the Redeemer? His name is Jesus. We've seen that he is God himself, that he willingly died to forgive us the penalty of sins, that he willingly died to free us from the power of sin in our life. Two more things I want you to see about the Redeemer in this text. Number five, he perfectly obeyed the will of the Father. That Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of the Father. Again, this is going to sound just like last week because it's the same truth just in the New Testament. Now, think back to last week to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. Isaiah 53, 10. I think we have that on the screen for you. I think we, there you go. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. That what Jesus endured, as we saw last week, was the will of the Lord, the pleasure of the Lord. That here, Lord is in all caps, so that's Yahweh, God the Father here. So it was the will of the Father to crush the Son, and the Son gladly submitted to the delight, the will of the Father to bring about redemption. And we have that now. Go back to Galatians 1. Here's our New Testament parallel of this as well. And go back there to verse 4. The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the what? The will of our God. And Father, that Christ perfectly obeyed the will of the Father. Here, when you see this word according to, it's a Greek preposition kata, which means the source of something, the origin of something. That the reason we've been delivered from our sins, the reason that the Redeemer has set us free from the power of sin in this present evil age, it was according to, the origin of this was the will of our God and the will of the Father. That means Jesus' death was not accidental. Like I said last week, it was not some plan B, it was the plan from before time began. Now, just a minute ago, we looked at John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. I want you to see it again and notice an important phrase in John 10. Again, just to think of the consistency of Scripture from Isaiah's prophecy to what we're seeing here in Galatians to what John said as well. Jesus said in in John's gospel, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And in verse 18, notice this, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This charge I've received from my Father. So you go back to Isaiah's prophecy, it was the will of the Father for Jesus to do this. You go to Galatians, this was the will of God. And here in John's gospel, we see it is the will of God as well. And so the Redeemer, Christ himself, the servant of Isaiah 53, gladly submitted to the will of the Father to bring about redemption. One last truth I want us to see from Galatians 1 here is that number six, our redemption is to bring glory to God. Our redemption is to bring glory to God. What the Redeemer did was primarily for the glory of God. Go back to Galatians 1 and look at verse 5 here. After he's told us what the Redeemer was going to do in giving himself for our sins and delivering us from the present evil age and doing all this according to the will of the Father, he says this in verse 5, To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. More literally, as to whom be the glory from ages upon ages upon ages. That this is the will of Christ to glorify the Father for all 
eternity, that our redemption, friend, is all about bringing glory to God. Now, let me remind us, we talked about this back in April, way back in question six of the catechism, but let me remind us, we're talking about, when we talk about bringing glory to God, I want to make sure we're clear on this, because there's some confusion in our culture about this. Now, to make sense, there's two important words here. The first word is glory. Now, glory is a word we use to describe God. It's literally the brightness around God's presence. But we use the word glory to talk about the summary of who God is, his character, his brilliance, his nature, everything about God. We use it to say God is glorious. Now, God's glory, friends, cannot increase and it cannot decrease. God is fully glorious all the time. There's nothing that makes God more glorious, nothing that makes God less glorious. There's nothing I can do or you can do that makes God more glorious. There's nothing I can do or you can do that takes away any glory from God. God is fully glorious all the time. So then when we talk about bringing glory to God, when we talk about glorifying God, we're not adding to his glory. Rather, we're acknowledging his glory. So when we talk about glorifying God or to bring glory to God, we are simply describing honoring the glory he already has, acknowledging the glory he already has, holding up and showing others the glory he already has. There's nothing you or I can do to increase God's glory or take away God's glory. So in light of all that, what was redemption about? Redemption was about showing off the glory of God. Redemption was about making much of God. Friends, this truth is so important because we're in a culture that tells us we are the center of God's story. We're in a culture that tells us redemption is all about us and God making much of us. Friends, God does a lot for us. That's this grace we're talking about, but redemption is primarily not about us. Redemption is primarily about the glory of God, of God showing who he is, friends. The Redeemer came to make much of God. The Redeemer died for us to make much of God. The Redeemer forgave us to make much of God. The Redeemer frees us from the power of sin to make much of God. I want you to see this in several different places in the Scripture. I want to look at several Scriptures real quick and just listen to the consistency throughout Scripture of why the Redeemer saved us. Let's go back to Psalms, to Psalm 23.3. Notice what it says in Psalm 23.3. This is a beautiful one. This is one of CJ's favorite texts, but this is the whole beautiful text of the shepherd taking care of us. And it says, He restores my soul. Who doesn't like that? That's amazing. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, why is He doing this for us? Why is the good shepherd, why is God doing this for us? For his namesake. The shepherd leads us and restores us, not because we're such amazing people. He's having to lead us because we wander so much. He's having to restore us because we get so broken so quick. He's doing all this for his namesake, for his glory. Also in the Psalms, Psalm 79, 9, notice what it says in there. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins. Atonement is forgiving us of our sins. What the Redeemer does, atone for our sins for your namesake. Psalm 106, verse 8. You see the same thing again here. Yet he saved them for what? Whose namesake? His namesake, that he might make known his mighty power. This is in the context of the deliverance from slavery in Egypt when he rescued his people from that bondage. And he did this for his own namesake. He did this so that that he might make known his own power. Go to Isaiah now. We looked at Isaiah last week. We go back a few chapters. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 43, he's talking about bringing his people back together. And he says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Now, verse 7, he's talking about all his people. He's bringing back together. Everyone who is called by my name, and notice this text, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. He's saying all these people that I made, who've been scattered, who he's bringing back, he's bringing redemption in the physical sense to them. He's saying, I'm doing this for my glory. Also in Isaiah, Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11, you see this 
in probably one of the most direct ways possible in Scripture. God says, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Verse 10, he carries on. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. Now notice verse 11 here. This is astonishing. For my own sake, for my own sake. Now just pause right there. When you see things in Scripture, when God speaks and he repeats it again, he's trying to show us the significance of this. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. How should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Friends, we need to meditate on that verse and let that verse sink in. That what God does, he does for my own sake, for my own sake. He's doing this for his glory, for his purposes, so that he might be glorified. One more this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. There's many others we could look at. 1 John, he says, I'm writing to you little children. That's not a put down. That's not a derogatory thing here. This is affection. He's talking about people in the church. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven. For what reason? For whose sake? His name's sake. Now, do you see the beauty of this? We're looking at Psalms. We're looking at Isaiah. We're looking at 1 John. And here we go back to Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4 and 5, we talk about what Christ has done for us. Verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever. So whether in your Galatians or Psalms or Isaiah or 1 John, the consistent message of Scripture is God does what he does, not to make much of us, but to make much of himself. He does not do all he does for our redemption because we're so amazing and deserving. He does it quite the opposite because we're not, but to show off his character in that. So the sixth thing we saw here is our redemption is to bring glory to God. Now let's bring all that back together. Our question for today is who is the Redeemer and what do we learn about him? So here's our answer for today to this question of who is the Redeemer. The only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ who rescues us from the penalty and power of sin to bring glory to God. You see all six things there from Galatians 1 right here in this idea of who the Redeemer is. The only Redeemer, and there is no other, this, he is our only hope, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The sovereign one of all history, the one who's prophesied about as the Messiah to come. It is none other than Jesus himself, and he has come as the Redeemer to rescue us. Because we need deliverance. He's rescuing us from the power, for the penalty of sin. He's died so we can be forgiven. And he's rescuing us from the power of sin so that sin will not have dominion and control over us. And he's doing all this to show off the character of God, to show the nature of God, to make us a redeemed people who will glorify God. The only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ who rescues us from the penalty and power of sin to bring glory to God. Now, friends, the question is, what do we do with that truth? Again, as we go through the catechism, I don't want us to be looking at this thing going, well, that's fascinating that that's who Jesus is. How does this change my life, my heart, and your life, and your heart? I want to give you four things I think we need to ponder this week in light of what we've read about who the Redeemer is. Four things I want us to ponder in light of that. Number one, we need to, this should show us and help us ponder how awful our sin is. How awful our sin is. Friends, we are so easily deceived into thinking that we are pretty good people, aren't we? We're so easily deceived into thinking we're pretty moral, pretty good, pretty nice people. We're so easily deceived into thinking our sins aren't that bad, that we're not as bad as other people, or this sin's okay, it doesn't hurt anyone, or no one will ever know, or God really doesn't mind, it's not as bad as whatever. And we're easily deceived into thinking that. And when we start meditating on who the Redeemer is, that He has come to give His life for our sins, He's come to deliver us from the power of sins, for it reminds us how God views sin, it reminds us how awful our sins are. So as we ponder this truth, this should obliterate in our hearts any sense of self-righteousness. This should obliterate in our hearts any sense that we are good people and should lead us to realize how awful our sin is. So what do we do with this truth? We ponder it to realize how awful our sin is. Number two, we should ponder this truth of the Redeemer to remember how gracious God is. To remember how gracious God is. Friends, we've seen it for several weeks now, but God did not have to redeem us. 
God would have been perfectly just to condemn every single person on the planet to hell. And he had not ceased to be good, and not ceased to be God if he chose to do that, because we've all offended his holiness. But God chose in his mercy and grace to set his affections on us, to look at us as rebels against him, rebels like me and rebels like you, people lost in our sin. And he chose to put his affection on us and turn our hearts to him and give us blessings instead of judgment, to take us as enemies and seat us at his table, that he has given us something that we could never fathom or imagine or deserve. Friends, we need to ponder who the Redeemer is to remember how gracious he is in giving us what we do not deserve. And that should drive us to our knees and worship as we ponder and are in awe of the one who set his affection on us instead of setting his judgment on us. So it should remind us of how awful sin is. It should remind us of how gracious God is. But number three, This truth of the Redeemer should give us our identity in Christ. This should give us an identity in Christ. Friends, throughout all of Christianity, people struggle with our identities. Now, there are some who struggle with an insecure identity, and they spend their life always trying to find themselves and figure out, who am I as a person? And the other side of the spectrum are people who are overconfident. I know who I am, and I know what I'm accomplishing, and we put our identity in our work and our families and our jobs and whatever else, and we put our identity in the things that we are doing. It's a self-driven identity, and the truth that we are redeemed people fixes both of those dangers for us. It brings us back to we have an identity that is given by God, and that, is ident- that identity is that we are redeemed, that we belong to God, that he's told us who we are, a people made in his image. He's told us that we are a people he's set his affection on, that we belong to him, that our identity is now that we are redeemed, that we belong to him. That even gives us our purpose that we are now a people who are on mission to bring glory to God. I love how how Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. It's a beautiful text, but 1 Corinthians 6, it says, You were bought with a price. You were redeemed with a price. And that price is the servant, the Messiah, that Christ himself giving his life. It says, So glorify God in your body. Our identity, friends, is that we were bought with a price. We now belong to God. There's one more thing I think this, this truth of the Redeemer should lead us to ponder this week. I think it should make us ask a question of us, ourselves. And here's the question. Am I living like a redeemed person? Am I living like a redeemed person? You see it right there in 1 Corinthians 6.20. You were bought with a price. You were redeemed. Therefore, glorify God with your body. In your life, we should be seeking to glorify God because that's what we were made for. That's what we were redeemed for. That's what we see verse 4 back in Galatians 1 again this morning. That Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So the question for us this week is, am I living like a redeemed person? Am I embracing that God-given identity, knowing that I belong to God? And is that now changing how I live? Is it changing how I view my sin? Is it changing how I view who God is? Is it changing how I worship him during the week? Friends, let's ask the Holy Spirit this week to stir our affections, to think about who the Redeemer is, and let that truth free us from the deception of sin. Let the truth free us to worship God. Let that truth free us to be in awe of Him and to worship Him for the one who has chosen to redeem us. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your mercy and your grace, or that you looked upon sinners like us who deserve nothing but judgment, who deserve nothing but wrath, who deserve nothing but hell, instead of giving us what we deserve, You put your affections on us. You turned our hearts to the things of you. You poured out your love into our lives. And Lord, you have let us see your beauty and your glory. And Lord, you have changed our hearts. You've given us a new nature. But I pray for those of us who know you that that truth would never grow cold. It would never grow old. 
Father, we confess we hear this week after week here. We hear this in our devotionals. We hear this when we talk with our families. Or we talk about grace and we hear these things so much. Lord, we can become almost numb to these truths that we are a redeemed people. Oh, Lord, forgive us for that. And Lord, would you this week break from us any sense of just indifference to our identity in Christ as a redeemed people? Or would you stir our hearts afresh with awe and wonder at this glorious message? That you have delighted in redeeming us. That the Father delighted in crushing the Son. And the Son delighted in following the Father's will to purchase our salvation, to free us from this present evil age. Lord, I pray that would never grow old to us, to think on that and to ponder that, to sing about that, to dwell on that, to talk about that. Lord, stir our hearts to understand the wonder of all this. Lord, with that, Lord, we see the deceptive power of sin in each one of our lives. Even this week, we can all identify ways that we've been deceived by sin and not live like a redeemed people. Would you forgive us for those? And Lord, would you turn our hearts to long even more to live out who you see us as? Not for us to get to you, but because we already belong to you. Lord, we can bring nothing to you that would make you accept us. So I pray, Lord, this week that you would help us just understand what it means to be your redeemed people. And that would change how we seek to live for you in every moment of every day. Lord, if there's anyone who's here on campus or watching online who isn't redeemed, who is trusting in their own self-righteousness or trusting in things they've done, even good things, would you today let them see that and would you pursue them and chase after them and let them understand what it means to belong to you our sovereign creator over all. Lord, we'll give you the praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song that all I have is Christ. This is the declaration of what we've just been reading, that we have nothing to bring except for Christ. We must rejoice in the fact that we are redeemed by Him. And I once was lost in darkest night Yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that
Father, I pray that the truths we have just sung to music would be our prayer all this week. That we'd acknowledge before you each and every day that we have nothing apart from you. We'd be quick to run to the cross every day. And Lord, that what we have just sung, Lord, that our only hope is in you would be true. That you would guard our hearts, Lord, from putting our hope in circumstances and our hope in our finances and our hope in anything else. But our hope would be in Christ and in Christ alone. Lord, that prayer we just said is a really bold prayer. Lord, use my ransom life in any way you choose. But I pray that we'd be able to say that by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, that we would lay our lives before you with open hands this week, saying, Lord, have your way in our lives. Lord, give us much grace to do that so that you receive all the glory and we have so much joy in the process. And we ask it all in the name of our Redeemer, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon. How was the hike yesterday?